Welcome in to Grady Research Radio, the podcast highlighting the research and expertise coming out of Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia, advancing knowledge, innovation, and creation in the fields of journalism, advertising, public relations, and entertainment and media studies. I'm your host, Jackson Schroeder. The guest for this episode is Dr. Grace Ahn, professor in the Department of Advertising and Public Relations and the director of the CASH Lab, the Center for Advanced Computer Human Ecosystems. So you're the principal investigator at the CASH Lab, which is the Center for Advanced Computer Human Ecosystems. So can you tell me a little bit about what goes on there, the history and also the mission of the lab? Yeah, initially we had started at Grady College with the Games and Virtual Environments Lab, and that was primarily driven by uh, social science research with a uh, focus on media psychology, uh, which is where um, I gain a lot of uh, my research inspiration from. And so um, we had... uh, operated for over a decade under the Games and Virtual Environments Lab um, title. And I think we came to a place where where we were doing so much of the interdisciplinary approach to some of these big and complicated problems that media psychology alone is just not able to address. And so uh, given that so much of our work was becoming very Um, almost transdisciplinary. So typically we tend to work uh, very closely with uh, the School of Engineering. Um, We also have people hail from uh, kinesiology, psychology, family, consumer, and science, uh, even veterinary medicine. And so um, it's very uh, team science oriented. And so I think Um, That was sort of that impetus for thinking about a larger organization where we can all fall under a single umbrella and a single identity. Um, And so that's sort of where the origins of the center came about. Um, And so the center itself is uh, brand new. And so it was established last year. And so we're kicking it off this year, um, trying to see if we can have a more unified sort of a face, um, a front uh, for the audiences so that they better understand uh, the type of work that we do. Awesome. So what are some of the current research projects that you're working on through the Cash Lab, some that excite you? Um, I guess everything is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really exciting time to be uh, involved in research that looks at how humans interact with Uh, computers. And we talk about computers in a very broad sense. And so everything from uh, social media to video games to these more immersive environments like virtual reality, augmented augmented reality, or what people have started to call um, extended reality, and uh, even a little bit of robotics uh, in there, AI. Uh, And so we're really starting to interact uh, far more frequently with technology than we have um, ever before. 
And it turns out that the human and the computer-human interaction is very important. And so how we think about these experiences and uh, how these experiences change us and how we perceive the world, not just within these virtual spaces, but even outside of it, uh, have important implications for real-world problems. And so for the majority of research projects that we deal with, uh, tends to focus on how can me leverage these technologies uh, to help us live better lives, um, to help us become healthier, to become uh, more environmentally conscious, to make better decisions. How are we um, using technology to better inform consumers and to help them, uh, you know, get a a better sense of the world, get better, better bearings and how do humans um, I guess, take advantage of, of these wide variety of, of tool sets that we have at hand. Great. So you spoke about it a little bit there, um, but a lot of, like a lot of your research is supposed to have real world implications. So the first one that comes to mind is the climate hurricane uh, simulation. Yes. So what about VR makes it such a powerful tool for helping people prepare and adapt for things in the future? Yeah, uh, typically we've been using a variety of uh, communication platforms to deliver risk messages. And um, I guess most of these uh, information pieces that you get from the government has been in the form of pamphlets or handouts um, or videos. Uh, But it turns out that uh, when you receive information in a passive way, just reading about it in a pamphlet or watching a video, um, it tends to not last as long and people tend to forget about it fairly quickly. Uh, The biggest advantage that virtual reality offers is that it's able to provide a very rich experience in terms of sensory cues. So you can see, you can hear, uh, you can feel things um, as if that event were happening to you at that moment. And when something like that is experienced, um, the way that people remember remember it is far more detailed than, uh, for example, a black and white handout, a text-based handout. And when people remember it, when they come across a similar situation, then they're able to recall uh, much easily than, let's say, something that you read or something that you just saw um, passively. And so it really does uh, allow people to build a mental model of what could happen in those emergency situations uh, like a hurricane. And we're able to get people to practice those uh, behaviors. Like, for example, if um, you had to immediately pack an evacuation bag, it's hard to know. And when you're panicked, uh, you might throw in things in the bag that you necessarily don't need. And so in VR, we're able to get you to learn about the items uh, before the hurricane actually hits and have you go through the motions of literally putting the objects in the bag. And now you have practice. And so in a real world scenario, we want you to lean back on that practice that you had in VR and uh, feel more comfortable about it. That's great. So it clearly has real world implications for people. So how do you spread this message? How do you get more people to, say, try out a simulation? Because I imagine it's a little bit harder to spread that than it would be to, like, hand out pamphlets, for example. Yeah. So we're at UGA, I think we're uh, very fortunate to have um, both a land grant and a sea grant mission. And so there are um, a lot of extension offices uh, that uh, have very close ties with 
local communities, um, both in Athens and in the coastal areas. And so we're working very closely with the um, Georgia Sea Grant uh, and the South Carolina Sea Grant, um, and they have public-facing workshops and um, education opportunities for coastal residents. And so uh, we're learning that we can partner with these organizations and um, they would help with the distribution. Great. So taking a step back a little bit, how have you seen VR change and evolve over the past 10 years or so? Um, It's almost been breathtaking. (laughs) Uh, I don't know uh, if people who have not been in the VR research area realize this because I guess it's very similar to how the smartphone came about. The very initial models had a lot of limitations. And so as an everyday consumer, you're kind of frustrated with the technological barriers. But if you had seen VR where it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would be absolutely stunned at what we're able to do right now um, at a fraction of the cost uh, of what we had to deal with. For example, um, in 2006, when I first began studying virtual reality, a single headset cost um, and upwards of $50,000. Wow. That's one headset. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you needed a ton of peripherals to get that headset w- working. And so you needed a tracking camera system that could easily go up to $100,000. And so by the time you have a working functional virtual reality system, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it wasn't very effective. It was very finicky. You had to calibrate it for every single user. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, Nowadays, you're able to walk into any retail store, Walmart, Best Buy, Target, and grab a MetaQuest 2 headset for about $300 and you're in the metaverse within five minutes uh, without any other peripherals. I mean, this is just mind blowing levels of uh, technological advancement that uh, is almost hard to describe how fast we came about this point. Um, Just, you know, uh, maybe 12, 13 years ago when I was trying to uh, land my first job as an assistant professor, uh, the first thing that people told me was to think about changing my area of research because everybody believed that virtual reality would never leave the lab. It would Mm -hmm. never become a thing. And uh, now it's it's, uh, all over the news. I think people are excited to talk about it. Um, There's a lot of media hype. I mean, I don't think I would have imagined uh, people talking about the metaverse in in this colloquial sense um, and everybody understanding what that refers to uh, just even five or six years ago. Yeah, great. So that said, what do you see as the future of VR? What are the steps that it can still take in the next 10 years or so? Yeah, so uh, up until this point, I think a lot of these virtual reality experiences have, have been solo user. So you're mm-hmm. in there alone and you go through, you know, a, a really cool experience. And it turns out that because human beings are very social animals, having a cool experience on your own only goes so far. You want to be able to share it with your friends and family and other users and Um, be together to share that experience together. And so I think the future of VR does lie in this concept of of this metaverse where you have multiple users sharing the same space and getting excited together and um, doing things together. Great. So now to kind of wrap it up and tie it back into what we were speaking about at the beginning of this interview, what should we be 
on the lookout for in terms of your research coming out of the cash lab in the future? Yes. Yeah, so I think a lot of uh, people might think of virtual reality as more um, of a gaming system, mm-hmm. a, a uh, entertainment system. Uh, but um, decades of research actually demonstrates that uh, virtual reality can actually be a really powerful communication tool. And so uh, in terms of how we've been telling stories, um, goes all the way back to, you know, when people used to make cave drawings and we've sort of developed our tool sets to tell better stories. I mean, this podcast is one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, virtual reality can be a very, very powerful tool to, to tell a, a vivid story and um, allow audiences to really live through that story together. Um, and so I think the next thing to get excited about in the area of virtual reality research is demonstrating how we're able to use this not as a gaming or just an entertainment tool, but also as a storytelling and a communication tool that's very relevant to the type of uh, work that we do here in terms of advertising, public relations, and uh, mass communication. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Grady Research Radio. Thanks for tuning in. 